1: Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast, where we talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts, and society. I'm Peter Hoskin, books and culture editor here at Prospect, and today's episode is actually inspired by an essay in the current issue of The Mag by Lucy Sculls, on the literature, specifically the novels, that have emerged from the coronavirus pandemic so far. Books like Philip Hensher's To Battersea Park, Sarah Moss's The Fell, and Claire Pollard's Delphi. It's a big subject in itself, but it's probably even bigger than I'm making it sound – because this isn't, this isn't just about books, as important as books are. It's also about such highfalutin things as our collective memories, our history, and even our preparedness, psychologically and otherwise, for the next pandemic. I guess what I'm saying is that we ought to pay attention to COVID literature, and perhaps no one has paid closer attention than Lucy, um, Lucy Scholes herself, a critic and editor who's one of our guests today. Lucy, hello, and thanks for coming on.
1: Hi, Pete. Thank you for having me
0: you're very welcome and i'm also excited to welcome as our other guest the author of what in its way is a, is a pandemic set novel um daisy hildyard that novel of daisy's is called emergency and daisy i i don't want this podcast to be 45 minutes of massaging your ego but but i think it's a masterwork uh, and i'm i'm very excited to be talking about it and more with you now um I also just want to say before we get properly started that maybe listeners should know that we're conducting this conversation over Zoom. So we are all just faces on computer screens, that kind of whole digital spectral vibe that we all know from the, the pandemic, uh, which I, I hope or perhaps fear, Daisy and Lucy, has brought you back straight to 2020. Um, right. So, Lucy, can, can we actually start with... with 2020 and your experience of the pandemic just briefly?
1: Well I guess in many ways it's very similar to most people's. Um, I already worked from home so it wasn't a huge kind of change in my life when everything sort of shut down but I also um, I have a pre-existing condition and autoimmune condition so I was one of the sort of considered vulnerable people so I had to do some that shielding that everyone was uh, talking about so I didn't see people for quite a long time which was a different and unnerving i think in the same way that i think most people's pandemic experience was in different ways but
0: if, if we fast forward now actually to your to your essay um I, I forget whether i tasked you with reading a bunch of covid books or whether <laughs> whether, whether you asked me whether you could i, I forget how that worked but um wh- when whenever this task began um was, was your own was your own experience of covid something you brought into it
1: um that's a really interesting question I think in many ways how would I answer that yes and no I think one of the things I found coming back to some of these novels and I think I wrote about this a little bit in the piece is that some of them I'd read when they were first published at the time I might have reviewed them for other newspapers or magazines or just read them when they came out and I found myself slightly frustrated I think with some of the early ones that really focused on lockdown and the experience because I for me it felt a lot like there were there's a lot of complaining about sort of being stuck indoors and not being able to go outside. And although I understood that on a, on one sort of level, because I was in that same boat, I also personally felt very lucky that I didn't need to be risking myself, risking my health going outside, that I did have a job that I could work from home. And it felt to me, at least, quite I don't know, very self-indulgent to spend one's time complaining about being stuck inside when there were people out there, you know, who really weren't able to do that and were kind of putting themselves in danger. And I think that I had lots of kind of frustrations with that. And then by the time I came back to reading some of these books again for the piece, rereading some of these earlier books, I definitely looked on them, um, let's say, a little bit more sympathetically.
0: I, I should say, Liz, so I, I've mentioned some of the titles already, but, but would you mind talking about What books you spanned across.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, I mean, so many. I think those sort of from that early, the earliest kind of pandemic novels that were being published, things like Burnt Coat by Sarah Hall, Sarah Moss's The Fell, which I think is a brilliant work. And and that's one of the ones I think at the time I I was sort of very frustrated with her character, who is very, one of her characters who's very sick of being stuck at home. And then going back to it now, I had a lot more sympathy this time around for for them. Roddy Doyle's Life Without Children, I'm not sure I mentioned that in the piece. Actually, it's really interesting going back. No, going back and looking at sort of I wrote a little list of the um, books before I came on the show today just to remind myself which ones I'd written about. And there were quite a few which I read but then didn't have the sort of time or the space to write about. Obviously Daisy's book, which I think we're going to talk about in more detail, that I think was one of the most kind of striking and and really interesting novels that um, that I came across. Uh, Hannah Black's Tuesday or September or The End there were things like uh, Our Country Friend by Gary Steingart, which I think I mentioned briefly. Um, mm-hmm. You said Philip Henscher. Um, there were some others that I didn't mention, maybe ones that weren't quite so good. So I might not name them here.
0: <laughs> okay, if, if you weren't mentioned, if your book wasn't mentioned, Lucy may not like it. Um,
1: may, let's say may.
0: <laughs> so, so Lucy, so you, you've been on a Gosh, I hate the phrase, but you've been on a journey with these books, so to speak. So you were frustrated by a lot of them at first. Mm -hmm. They felt almost indulgent to you. And then you came around to having a new appreciation of them writing this essay. Could you just sort of explain the top line of the essay? Because you you talk about these books being part of the first wave. What is it that characterises a lot of them?
1: lockdown lockdown and the process of being stuck inside and not being able to do anything and I think that when I, I think when you and I first talked about doing this essay I think one of the original ideas I sort of wrote to you was that I thought that the novels had already been through almost like a multitude of way, multitude of waves. I think I, I spoke to you about some of the early ones, the very first ones, and then what was happening sort of a year later. And actually, when I came to go back and reread them, I realised that in many ways, they all still seem to be part of this kind of larger wave, which I'm calling the first wave of COVID fiction. I mean, where it goes next, that will be interesting to see. But lockdown really does seem to be the preoccupying factor here so far.
0: And, and these are also, they're insular in terms of lockdown, but they're also... Insular, I mean, you mentioned auto fiction actually mm-hmm. is a recent trend for people writing almost diary like. Novels. This is something that unites them a little bit as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I did wonder whether there was a sort of relationship between that. That so much. I mean, I guess you know, what do you do if you're a writer during a pandemic? You're unlikely to have a kind of frontline job as well as being a writer. Let's put it that way. So you're probably stuck at home and you're writing about what is your experience of the pandemic, which is being stuck at home and not able to leave. And I think that sort of obviously, you know, I think for many of us, whether we're writers or not, the the pandemic. Led or forced us into a period of kind of introspection and thinking and sitting with ourselves for a very long time, whether that was a good or a bad thing.
0: So, Daisy, hello. I'm going to introduce you to the conversation by asking the same awful question I asked of Lucy, which was briefly, what was your experience of the pandemic?
2: It it changed quite a lot through the pandemic, actually, because I, like Lucy, I work from home, and right at the beginning, a lot of my work dried up, and that was quite worrying. But then as my work came back in, that became its own kind of stress because I also had two young children at home at the time. And then through the second lockdown, I was pregnant with a third. I had a third child in August 2021. So my partner and I would divide up the day in half and we'd do half a day on childcare and half a day at work and try to get what we needed to do done in that time. One of my kids was being homeschooled and the other was preschool. So... She would literally bounce off the walls while the other one was learning about, you know, <laughs> Black Lives Matter or um, the AE digraph or something.
0: Gosh, that, that sounds like a lot. I, I, if I can indulge myself a second, I think my, my experience of the pandemic um, sort of defined by... So my wife and I had had our first child, uh, Elliot. Uh, so he, he was born in September 2020, which meant, you know, not attending scans. But it also meant a lot of time with him, which I enjoyed. Um, but um, Daisy, so uh, if I can give listeners a sort of peek behind the curtain here, w- when I emailed you about coming on this episode, you you said yes, well, thank you, and but you also said that you hadn't read all of the books that Lucy mentions in in her essay, uh, but you had read some others. Uh, first of all. I haven't read all of the books that Lucy mentions in her essay. I'd like to think there's no shame in that. But second, where has your reading taken you and and what books have captured your imagination during the pandemic?
2: Well, yeah, I was amazed and very impressed at the extent of of pandemic literature that that Lucy kind of identified and had thought about and and the way you tell the story of that, that those kind of different waves of thought and experience, which, which really makes sense to me, but I hadn't thought about it in that way. I particularly I've been interested in and I'm not sure whether this is as a writer but the thing that came to mind immediately when you said we were speaking thinking about pandemic literature was was actually uh watching serials. Can we talk about that as fiction? So <laughs>
0: We sure can. Um,
2: I was I was interested in particularly how um series that I'd already watched, so things like Succession or Industry accommodated the pandemic to a kind of pre-existing context or storyline or set of characters and i was particularly interested i guess in character development because it kind of feels like what's happening to people in real time that that you can make up a character post-covid with everything you know or you had these pre-covid characters but what happens when you have a character and then covid happens to them and you have to like steer them differently and i thought that industry did that really well with their characters they they brought new and different things to, to, to people, and it felt very true, but, but it made them feel more alive to me. There's a character who spends the pandemic alone in a luxury hotel wrapped up in a bathrobe, just kind of losing her mind, and I think that um, felt very true to her character, whereas other things like Succession just, just dropped it, We're just I like, just kind of couldn't deal with it, and I guess that also points to the fact that fiction is escapism and maybe we wanted to escape from it for a long time.
0: But but presumably you didn't want to escape from it. Did you, because you were writing Emergency, did you you take inspiration from shows like Industry in that case?
2: I think that, no, I don't think I took inspiration from those shows as such. I didn't set out to write about the pandemic. And I think that, to my mind, the most interesting fiction, or the most interesting things that the pandemic might do with fiction are as Lucy suggests at the end of her piece, perhaps not the representation of lockdown or even COVID in general, but the way it's changed the way people think and behave and how we interact with one another in society um, or in, in, in in our personal relationships. I think that for me, writing my book, it became apparent that it was necessary to include the experience of the pandemic, which is only very slightly mentioned a few times. Because I think that the pandemic made it possible for me to write it in the sense that I had wanted to write a novel that told a story of a whole ecosystem of characters, I guess, but the characters would include animals and trees and other plants and lots of people. So it would be a kind of community, but an ecological community. And I was thinking about what kind of stories might happen to a tree or to a fox cub. And I was struggling to write that for a long time. And then it became possible during lockdown. And I think that that was partly to do with the kind of heightened sense of interaction and touch and uh, intense relationships in the outside world that I think a lot of people felt when they were cut off from that. So I wanted to include that feeling in my novel, not because I wanted to describe the pandemic, but that I wanted the reader to feel that kind of heightened, tactile, slightly sort of almost psychedelic feeling that that some of us experience when we thought about hugging somebody we loved but hadn't done it for, you know, months on end or thought about the outside world in which all this stuff's going on but from these kind of isolated
0: rooms. Daisy, that's interesting because I, I almost had a, a glib, sa- at least glib sounding, I hope it's not actually glib, Um, question in mind. Um, that that relates to these themes you mentioned sort of interconnectedness Um, because the publishers of Emergency the the wonderful folk at Fitzcarraldo editions they put out your previous book which is the second body right, a collection of essays which I I think it's fair to say is about interconnectedness and this was published in 2017 um, I think and uh, it's about how people connect to people but also how people collect to nature and to animals and to the world in general so, so this is kind of your theme. Like I remember in, in the second body, you know, you're talking about fungi and foxes and f- another F word, floods, um, you know, and, and these things come up again in, in emergency. So I, I guess I'm getting to my glib sounding question, which is when the pandemic began and, and you're looking around for a theme for a novel, are, are you almost glad? I mean, what artistically, what, <laughs> uh, what, what was in mind when the pandemic began? Because it seemed to me that this was your scene.
2: Um, so I wasn't especially glad about the pandemic happening. Um, I mean, I think, and I, I believe increasingly many people feel this, that this is just the world. This is just what reality is. And that can be more or less apparent to an ordinary person going about their business, you know, homeschooling or, or writing their books or whatever they're doing. But I do think that COVID made it much more difficult to ignore and much clearer and more present and closer to very many of us, myself included. So I think in that respect, um yeah, it's not it's not it's not a question of good or bad for me, I guess. It just um it, it it's just real. Um it's just the the reality and I suppose I suppose I do When thinking about COVID literature and the kind of consequences of it, I sort of think about historically the literature that's special to me is much of the literature that follows the First World War, so the kind of modernist novels and poems, Mm -hmm. few of which actually presented the First World War, but which had a, a kind of changed mindset, I think, as a consequence of that. And I think that COVID, hopefully in the longer term, will be part of a kind of story of Change mindsets and changed ways of interacting with one another. I mean, a very obvious example would be that it's kind of harder to make the argument that you can do whatever you want with the environment because humans are separate from non-human animals when we know that this kind of global pandemic has been precipitated by a zoonotic disease or is likely to have been precipitated by. It's, it's it's perfectly possible. We all know that now.
0: I should say, Daisy, sorry, that I think I'm going to ask you at the end of this podcast to maybe give us a reading from Emergency, which concerns pangolins and speculation that, that COVID may have originated there. So, so yeah, we, we will be keying into some of these themes very closely. But I interrupted you.
2: Well, no, I was just going to give another example of something that I think becomes less ignorable with COVID, which is um, structural racism, st- systemic racism, which very many people say simply does not exist. But it's quite hard to say that that does not exist when you look at the kind of very simple and during the pandemic evident reality of the death figures when you across different um, different groups in England and different demographics. Uh, it's, quite, it's, it's increasingly hard to, to say that that's real, that that's the real world we live in. Um, so I guess that I see all these upheavals and changes and COVID is part of a story of, of seeing that or, or or just being alive to that, I guess.
0: And another thing it seems that maybe we can't ignore is ourselves. Um, I mean, just to go back to lockdown itself, we're, we're all stuck inside with ourselves every day or maybe with one or two other people. Um, and Daisy and, and Emergency, it seems to me, is a book about yourself. It's not It's not explicitly a memoir, but... Presumably, there's a lot of you in there. At, at this point, actually, I, I, I'm wary of describing Emergency and what it does, because I hate describing author's books in front of them in case they, they wince and say, well, actually, Pete, what I was really going for was this other thing. But would you mind saying quickly, like, th- the structure of Emergency and it's, it's someone reminiscing while they're in lockdown, mostly about their childhood? Um, and, and also, how much of you is, is in that?
2: I think it, it's narrated by a woman who is alone in lockdown, um, which is, as I've said, is, is not the case for me. Um, but but she's thinking back through her life. And um, uh, I think my idea was that I wanted to create a portrait of her, but without ever really looking at her, but looking at all the things she'd seen and see if you could kind of create an outline or a sense of what she was like or how she'd emerged from her environment, I guess, or through all the relationships she'd had but without ever reflecting on herself. But I wonder, Lucy, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what you make of selfhood in... Because obviously it was a pretty navel-gazing time for so very many people. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think it's really fascinating hearing you talk about, you know, so much of what you're, what you're saying, the sort of heightened experience and how actually mindsets. And I think... Maybe when I started writing this, I started thinking about these books um, very simplistically as being depictions of a time period, like depictions of what it was like to be in lockdown and and sort of the curtailment of that. And actually, I think by the end of the piece, I realised that probably the books that I found most successful, the books I enjoyed the most, were the ones that sort of did like like what you're describing like what your own book does where they take the sort of the weirdness and the oddness of being in this historical moment and then how does that affect one's day-to-day life or how does that affect one's thinking and how one tells stories and and sort of thinks of themselves in the world and i i suppose you know i talked a little bit at the end of the end of the piece about how we might see moving forward or how i would like to see different experiences kind of put forward. I would like to read more about people who've been, um, you know, left suffering from long COVID. I'd like to hear more about what it was like to work on the front lines during this time. Maybe I would like to hear more about stories. Well, I suppose, no, it's interesting, wasn't it? I mean, they would all be very personal stories. They would all be very kind of intensely, um, you know, I don't know, people who you know suffering from long COVID, it would be very intensely stuck in one's body. Like, you know, what is it like to do that? But something that is different from... Yeah, I don't know, this sort of more or this less exciting sort of navel gazing. I'm just sat in my home wondering what to do with myself. I don't know, that's not very, that's probably, I haven't read, I'm not sure I've even answered your question properly there.
2: (laughs) No, that's interesting. And yeah, it is interesting that how the kind of sense of people wanting to kind of pontificate on their experience or kind of assert their account of what it all means um, is somehow like a bit, you want to push that away, I think, for for good reason.
0: But presumably, Daisy, there's, there's something in recognition as well in that people like to recognise what they're reading about. So, I, I mean, I, I found this, I must admit, with Emergency, which worked for me on two levels in terms of recognition. One was I recognised the narrator's present-day lockdown condition, reminiscing, ruminating on their past. But I also recognise the time and places that you were talking about. That This is somewhere in Yorkshire, I think, Um but that's not where i that's not where I grew up, but reading about people playing on Game Boys and Sonic the Hedgehog and their mega drives and disused quarries and kestrels and this is my childhood um so so even in this sort of nostalgic way, emergency worked for me um and and also I thought as well it was a, it was a setting that you don't often see in books, and I describe that as genuinely normal um in that like I say this kind of the edges of quarries um it, it reminded me there was a, there's a great non-fiction book uh called Edgelands about a decade ago um which which I don't know if you read I, I know you use you use the word edgelands at least once in emergency and it stood out to me and this is uh, this was a book about the nature that exists between the countryside and the city, so in the, in the sort of the weird banks on the sides of motorways and you know where where rabbits roam and fungi grows, even if we slightly ignore it and and that 's actually also the setting I think of, of emergency and and this is a place that I recognize it 's a place that everyone recognizes to some extent and and that recognition was and is important i think and and I know Lucy actually you talked about this because you you talked about your initial frustration. In your essay, with you, you reviewed Sarah Moss's The Fell for, I think, was it the Telegraph, mm-hmm. and 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 you said in that review you wrote something along the lines of, you know, in in a way you didn't think there'd be a market for more and more introspective looks at the lockdown, but but you were, in a way, you were wrong, and, and you came to realise that you you were wrong. So so do you want to just talk about that a little bit, the the, the sort of, the the benefits of recognition.
1: Yeah, I think for me, particularly in that sense, it was that when when I first read, I mean, I think Sarah Moss is a fantastic writer. I think she's one of the best, we um, you know, in this country today. And when I first read The Fell, although it was brilliant, it was almost too brilliant, if that makes sense. It was so viscerally about what it was like to be stuck in a house, unable to leave, the frustrations of that. And I just thought reading it when it first came out, as much as I admired the writing, I couldn't. I really wondered about who would want to read this now. That was my feeling. While we were still in the thick of things, while people were still getting very sick, and while we were all still kind of trapped in our houses, I felt like, gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to read this. I'm living this every day. And I didn't know where the market was. But again, I think, you know, like I mentioned before, coming back to it now when things have opened up again, when life has sort of started to go back to, to normal in many ways, I read it and it was again, it, you know, it was a kind of visceral bringing me back to those days of lockdown. And I think as a kind of as a sort of a piece of historical record, you know, as a record of that moment in history, I think it would be a fascinating book to look at in the future and because she really does capture that day in, day out, you know, Kind of trials and tribulations of it. And Claire Pollard's book, Delphi, I think, does the same, but with more of an emphasis on what you're talking about, Daisy, maybe being stuck at home trying to work and manage childcare and homeschooling and all those things, which is you know incredibly was incredibly traumatic and sort of hard work for lots of people. So I think those books will be fascinating to look at in a few years' time to sort of remember or or to to ignore if people don't want to remember these things. I mean, that, that for me is interesting as well. Will people want to kind of look back at these things, these times? Will they want to remind themselves what it was like? Or will they rather forget about it and kind of move on?
0: After the break, we'll talk more about the literature that has emerged from the pandemic. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to consume more of our journalism, we'd encourage you to subscribe. A subscription unlocks full access to Prospect content across newsletters, web, app and print. And right now, a subscription to Prospect costs as little as £1 per month. Visit prospectmagazine.co.uk and subscribe now.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times.
0: Lucy I mean you've mentioned some of the things you'd like to see you know novels by and about frontline workers um maybe maybe different genres we'll we'll get on to a book I'd like to talk about briefly is Nina Allen's Conquest but you know will literature move on I I know you did some reading around I think the Spanish flu where we Mm -hmm. we had some Spanish flu novels but but was there a sense then that literature moved on or, or was it irrevocably changed?
1: Yeah, well, I think, again, when I first pitched you sort of, you know, the main idea for the essay or talking about it, I I said that I wanted to look at Spanish flu novels and kind of see how they'd see how that pandemic had been dealt with in literature. And then I sort of went off down a rabbit hole trying to find them and bar a kind of couple of very obvious ones, um, which I think I mentioned in the piece, things like um, Pale Horse, Pale Rider and um, the William Maxwell novels. I really couldn't find many. And it seemed to me that the the kind of, in one sense, the most obvious thing had happened, right? You know, the Spanish flu had taken place just at the end of the second, sorry, the First World War, and the death and destruction of the First World War had just completely overwhelmed the kind of loss and grief of the Spanish flu and sort of swallowed it up into it. And so actually what people were writing about, you know, afterwards was not, were not stories of, of contagion and disease. They were writing stories about people who died during the war. And I think I agree completely with what you said earlier, Daisy, that that sort of period after the first world war saw fascinating sort of changes in in the way that people were writing novels a very fragmented sort of approach this idea of what we do with this modern world now that has been sort of smashed and just um and i think the spanish flu was part of that but it doesn't need but it wasn't necessarily a part that was always referenced um you know explicitly it was sort of there in between the lines
0: daisy does any of that chime with you like are you a writer now who has- done your Covid novel or you are a writer a person in fact who is marked by Covid forevermore
2: I mean I think to some extent probably most people who've lived through it will be marked forevermore you know one way or another I share with Lucy the the kind of um the kind of hope that some of the stories of the pandemic that haven't yet really been presented might come come to the fore or or be spoken about and be listened to and I do hope that there's a that it's part of a story of change and of a chain changing relationships. I guess changes in the way people can understand their own relationships, like intimate or or kind of massive, global, systemic. However, you want to think about it. There's a phrase that I think about that Virginia Woolf uses in a short story called "The Mark on the Wall" when she's talking about kind of Victorian hierarchies and a masculine way of ordering the world and. A sort of peerage and table settings determined by how your status and she says how after the war these 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 ideas will be laughed into the dustbin which is like a kind of a metaphor image or whatever that doesn't quite work but sort of you know how do you laugh something into a bin but but it also really does because because you can see how the the enormous slaughter and tragedy of the first world war and perhaps also spanish food you know i, I don't know Led people to just see how 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 crazed it was to have these these everything being organised by these kind of bizarre um, principles and and the world being so obedient. So I hope some stories will be laughing things into the dustbin.
0: <laughs> On that note, um, Lucy, what signs of the second wave have you spotted? What what stories are emerging now?
1: Well, I think, as you said, there's this very. Very fascinating, kind of brilliant book called Conquest by Nina Allen, which I think we're probably going to mention in a second. But Katie Weinberg, I think, is writing a book that's based on her experience of having long COVID, um, which I'm very interested to hear more about. I'm not sure it's got a release date yet. So I think. I don't know, I'm not quite sure where it's going, but I think I, I would imagine in the sort of short term, maybe some more stories some stories about what it was like to be sick during the pandemic, possibly to continue to be sick. And then this kind of bigger uh I suppose sort of um wrestling with ideas of sort of interconnectedness, with code, with ideas of kind of contagion, um, things that are coming out in, like in Alan's book. I know you're a big fan of this one as well, Pete, aren't you? I think it was you who first told me to make sure it was on my reading list, which was good advice.
0: Yeah, well, I'll spoil where we're heading in this podcast. I was going to ask you both for your your favourite COVID books. And I can can say now that mine is actually Conquest, Um, discounting yours, Daisy. That's the rule with this particular game. Um, But mine is Nina Allen's Conquest, Uh, precisely because um, it's really elliptical and it's Mm. not actually about COVID. Um, But it is about viruses yeah. uh, and it's about virality and digital viruses too. Um, and you read it and you get the sense that, oh, this could only have been written <laughs> during the pandemic, even though it's not about the pandemic. And, and I find that I find that quite exciting, actually. Um, and it's also a pointer, I think. Um, again, I'm going to spoil something coming up, but not in this podcast, but in the magazine. We, we have a piece in the next issue of the magazine on nuclear culture um, by Matthew Dancona, um, pegged to the release of Oppenheimer, the Christopher Nolan film. And and he, he quotes Martin Amos talking about Atomic Age books in that. Um, and Amos pointed out that actually a lot of speculation writing about nuclear, the bomb and, and the nuclear age, it, it hurried quite quickly to genre fiction. Mm. So sci-fi grappled with it more, comic books grappled with it more horror crime you know these are the these are the places that really really did speculate more on the bomb than anywhere else um after we'd got through sort of serious literature dealing with it so you know you had john hershey's hiroshima and 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 the rest of those books um but it it quickly became the preserve of sci-fi and i'm slightly excited to see if that happens with the pandemic um whether it's it's actually the genre writers who will take up the mantle a little bit more in the years to come but yeah so that that's why i, I wonder whether nina allen's conquest which does have science fiction elements whether that marks something of a, a turning point but have, having asked the question of myself i think maybe i asked the, the question of you both that daisy do you have a favorite book and we're discounting yours <laughs> of lockdown of the pandemic
2: i think <clears throat> can i say something i'd really like to see because i feel like i would i would really what well, i would what i would like to read and i'm not sure that i have read is is a is a presentation of of the experience across difference and an oral history of of the pandemic that takes in many different experiences because i think what you were describing earlier about the how the experience of seeing what you seeing your own experience reflected can be can be soothing or healing or good is something that a story can do i think that it can also help people by showing them how what it's like to be different and it can do both at once and i would like to see a book i would like to read a book that that did that that, that had a, a wider panorama i think than the most of the covid novels that well than all of the covid literature i have read so far which it says more about the the paucity of my own reading than it does
1: about. That's such a fascinating idea. and someone should do that with the sort of mass observation archive, they're still going today, I think. And I do think I mentioned that briefly in the piece, didn't I? I talked about how there was a wonderful book a couple of years ago collated by Becky Brown about life experience during the Second World War. And it was taken from the mass observation archives. And so much of it was not the sort of, you know, very, um, you know, dig for victory. And it was a lot of people just being bored, fed up and just totally kind of upset with the fact that they were stuck they couldn't I mean so much of it resonated with experience of the pandemic which is why I think I mentioned it but it would be really fascinating for someone to do something similar with the pandemic years and look at people's look at the diaries that people were keeping at the time look at what it was actually like to go about their life at that point.
0: Just, just to say for our listeners hmm. mass observation is a kind of like mass survey operation it was started around the second world war i think yeah. by the government i want to say but but it's definitely still going i think it's now attached to a university but this is yeah collecting people's views on daily life effectively and that daily life will encompass the pandemic now so yeah you're, you're right that that would be fascinating when mass observation eventually if they do release that
2: I was thinking also about Svetlana Aleksevich's Chernobyl Prayer, which is one of my favourite books of, of the 21st century, and deals only because it's an oral history in Indian experiences of Chernobyl. So it's people worrying about their cats or, you know, talking about what was being sold in the bakery or what happened to their job prospects, etc. But through that, I personally gained a much better understanding of what, a nuclear event like that means um geologically or ecologically or politically or historically i think the kind of bigger picture can often emerge from from a more detailed understanding of what's happening on the ground
0: lucy i ask the same question of you do you have a favorite book from the from the lockdown pandemic era from the first wave, as we're calling it, well, other than daisies,
1: <laughs> other than daisies. Well, daisies is my top of my top five. I think that I include in the piece. I think if I had to choose one of them, it probably would be Sarah Hall's *Burnt Coat* because it was written very early on in the pandemic. I think she literally sat down on the first day of lockdown and started writing it, and so it was published really early. And what she did was she turned her own experiences, this sort of heightened sense of what it was like to be in this very kind of strange new world at that time into a fictional story about a much kind of more, a much more virulent pandemic, a much more kind of horrible illness. But her main character is an artist. And so what you've got in this book is this wonderful sort of, combination, like the sort of artistic, the heights of her kind of character's artistic endeavour and the heights of her sort of sexual attraction and erotic kind of consummation with this new lover that she has, all seem to sort of combine themselves in the same sort of frenzied heights of the actual virus itself that's sort that's kind of flooding through the country. And for me, I think that was such a powerful, beautifully written book, but also it was immediately saying, I'm living this experience, but I'm not just going to write about my day to day experience. I'm going to take this kind of a much more sort of cerebral take on what it means to be alive in this moment and turn it into this wonderful piece of art. And I think that goes back to something that you were saying earlier, um, Daisy, about that sort of sense of heightened a sort of emotion or activity or everything is sort of a bit weird and wonderful during that time and also scary and, and how do you sort of write how do you bring those kind of two feelings together and how do you sort of write them and turn them into art
0: thanks lucy um, we're running up slightly on time now and and we've definitely made our listeners reading paths a lot lot bigger so i think it's probably time daisy if you don't mind that we enjoy the reading from emergency
2: thank you very much so i'm um, uh going to read from a passage in which the narrator is looking through her window and witnessing her neighbours and thinking about the world that surrounds her outside her home during a pandemic. At night the neighbours' flats are all illuminated, and I see them more clearly than I do during the day. There are young parents with toddlers and tropical fish, and in another flat an older couple, a man who looks from this distance very much like the football manager Jürgen Klopp, who this morning moved his tomato seedlings from the inside to the outside sill, And the woman he lives with, who, from here, bears a slight resemblance to Indira Gandhi. She spends hours at her sewing machine, at the window. In the top floor flat there is a woman who lives alone, like me. Above her roof, I can see the upper bodies of the lime trees behind her building. Their greyish images are also wavering on my back wall now. Within the trees, I see crows, magpies, pigeons and squirrels flowing along the lateral branches. Obscured behind all that, there is the inner ring road that surrounds the city and is quieter than usual now. Nonetheless, traffic sounds reach me in here. If a car was to drive along that road and stay on it as it turned onto the motorway, in 30 minutes or so this car would reach the place where I used to live, which I am describing here. No cars will go there right now, since only urgent travel is permitted, and so space no longer feels regular or continuous. It's broken. This area I look out on now is divided into bordered zones, laws hold us all in place and forbid us from going to another. Our separation means little to the virus in the atmosphere, a virus so tiny that it is impossible to see it on my lips and so huge that it is impossible to see it crossing continents. Scientists on the news say that it evolved inside a pangolin's body from a reservoir in a rhinolophus bat. The novel virus, a shimmerer, crossed another species boundary at the end of last year when it began to communicate itself through human bodies. And now it's here, in my surroundings, and we are all living inside that pangolin. Everybody in my neighbourhood. Pigeons, clop, squirrels, tomato plants, sound waves, books, bookshelves, sewing machines, blue water weeds and the lone woman on the top floor. I've never noticed that I'm sharing this space with so many others before, and I wish that I could be out there among them now. But the authorities say that the world is fatally interconnected. And inside, alone with my thoughts, is the safest place to be. In some ways, the world feels more alive and vivid to me now than when I was out there, in it, with all the other people, animals, birds, plants,
0: insects, and machines. Daisy, thank you so much. Uh, Please, everyone, go out and pick up a copy of Emergency. It's it's one of those handsome blue Fitzcarraldo editions, and I'm not just saying it because Daisy's on the call. It, It really is a terrific, important piece of writing. And speaking of terrific writing, the criticism of Lucy Scholes is always worth your time, which is why I'm always so keen to commission and edit it. Please read her essay called The End of the First Wave in the latest issue of Prospect, where you can also read stories about the future of conservatism, Ukrainian language, and Britain's broken railways. Thank you. And while you're here, why not subscribe to something slightly different? Prospect Lives is a monthly series of audio diary entries from our family of seven writers, including Sheila Hancock, Sarah Collins and Mike Brearley. It's honestly a joy. Sometimes it will make you laugh, sometimes it will make you cry, but it will definitely give you a snapshot of the lives of people who live differently to you. Just search Prospect Lives wherever you get your podcast or click on the link in the show notes of this episode.